Section 9 of Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave, written by himself. Chapter 9. Our Arrival and Examination at Vicksburg. An Account of Slave Sales. Cruel Punishment with the Paddle. Attempts to Sell Myself by Garrison's Direction. Amusing Interview with a Slave Buyer. Deacon Whitfield's Examination. He Purchases the Family. Character of the Deacon. When we arrived at the city of Vicksburg, he intended to sell a portion of his slaves there, and stopped for three weeks trying to sell. But he met with very poor success. We had there to pass through an examination or inspection by a city officer, whose business it was to inspect slave property that was brought to that market for sale. He examined our backs to see if we had been much scarred by the lash. He examined our limbs to see whether we were inferior. As it is hard to tell the ages of slaves, they look in their mouths at their teeth, and prick up the skin on the back of their hands, and if the person is very far advanced in life, when the skin is pricked up, the pucker will stand so many seconds on the back of the hand. But the most rigorous examinations of slaves by those slave inspectors is on the mental capacity. If they are found to be very intelligent, this is pronounced the most objectionable of all other qualities connected with the life of a slave. In fact, it undermines the whole fabric of his chattelhood. It prepares for what slaveholders are pleased to pronounce the unpardonable sin when committed by a slave. It lays the foundation for running away and going to Canada. They also see in it a love for freedom, patriotism, insurrection, bloodshed, and exterminating war against American slavery. Hence, they are very careful to inquire whether a slave who is for sale can read or write. This question has been asked me often by slave traders and cotton planters while I was there for market. After conversing with me, they have sworn by their maker that they would not have me among their negroes, and that they saw the devil in my eye. I would run away, etc., I have frequently been asked also if I had ever run away, but Garrison would generally answer this question for me in the negative. He could have sold my little family without any trouble for the sum of $1,000. But for fear he might not get me off at so great an advantage as the people did not like my appearance, he could do better by selling us altogether. They all wanted my wife, while but very few wanted me. He asked for me and my family $2,500 but was not able to get us off at that price. He tried to speculate on my Christian character. He tried to make it appear that I was so pious and honest that I would not run away for ill-treatment, which was a gross mistake, for I never had religion enough to keep me from running away from slavery in my life. But we were taken from Vicksburg to the city of New Orleans, where we were to be sold at any rate. We were taken to a trader's yard, or a slave prison, on the corner of St. Joseph Street. This was a common resort for slave traders and planters who wanted to buy slaves, and all classes of slaves were kept there for sale, to be sold in private or public, 
young or old, males or females, children or parents, husbands or wives. Every day at ten o'clock they were exposed for sale. They had to be in trim for showing themselves to the public for sale. Everyone's head had to be combed, and their faces washed, and those who were inclined to look dark and rough were compelled to wash in greasy dish-water in order to make them look slick and lively. When spectators would come in the yard, the slaves were ordered out to form a line. They were made to stand up straight and look as sprightly as they could, and when they were asked a question, they had to answer it as promptly as they could and try to induce the spectators to buy them. If they failed to do this, they were severely paddled after the spectators were gone. The object for using the paddle in the place of a lash was to conceal the marks which would be made by the flogging, and the object for flogging under such circumstances is to make the slaves anxious to be sold. The paddle is made of a piece of hickory timber, about one inch thick, three inches in width, and about eighteen inches in length. The part which is applied to the flesh is bored full of quarter-inch auger holes, and every time this is applied to the flesh of the victim, the blood gushes through the holes of the paddle, or a blister makes its appearance. The persons who are thus flogged are always stripped naked, and their hands tied together. They are then bent over double, their knees are forced between their elbows, and a stick is put through between the elbows and the bend of the legs, in order to hold the victim in that position, while the paddle is applied to those parts of the body which would not be so likely to be seen by those who wanted to buy slaves. I was kept in this prison for several months, and no one would buy me for fear I would run away. One day, while I was in this prison, Garrison got mad with my wife and took her off in one of the rooms with his paddle in hand, swearing that he would paddle her, and I could afford her no protection at all, while the strong arm of the law, public opinion and custom, were all against me. I have often heard Garrison say that he had rather paddle a female than eat when he was hungry, that it was music for him to hear them scream and to see their blood run. After the lapse of several months, he found that he could not dispose of my person to a good advantage while he kept me in that prison confined among the other slaves. I do not speak with vanity when I say the contrast was so great between myself and ordinary slaves from the fact that I had enjoyed superior advantages to which I have already referred. They have their slaves classed off and numbered. Garrison came to me one day and informed me that I might go out through the city and find myself a master. I was to go to the hotels, boarding-houses, etc., tell them that my wife was a good cook, washwoman, etc., and that I was a good dining-room servant, carriage-driver, or porter and in this way I might find some gentleman who would buy us both, and that this was the only hope of our being sold together. But, before starting me out, he dressed me up in a suit of his old clothes, so as to make me look respectable, and I was so much better dressed than usual that I felt quite gay. He would not allow my wife to go out with me, however, for fear we might get away. I was out every day for several weeks, three or four hours in each day, trying to find a new master, but without success. Many of the old French inhabitants have taken slaves for their wives in this city, and their own children for their servants. Such commonly are called creoles. They are better treated than other slaves, and I resembled this class in appearance so much that the French did not want me. 
many of them set their mulatto children free and make slaveholders of them at length one day i heard that there was a gentleman in the city from the state of tennessee to buy slaves he had brought down two rafts of lumber for market and i thought if i could get him to buy me with my family and take us to tennessee from there i would stand a better opportunity to run away again and get to canada than i would from the extreme south so i brushed up myself and walked down to the river's bank where the man was pointed out to me standing on board of his raft i approached him and after passing the usual compliments i said sir i understand that you wish to purchase a lot of servants and i have called to know if it is so he smiled and appeared to be much pleased at my visit on such laudable business supposing me to be a slave trader he commenced rubbing his hands together and replied by saying yes sir i am glad to see you it is a part of my business here to buy slaves and if i could get you to take my lumber in part pay i should like to buy four or five of your slaves at any rate what kind of slaves have you sir after i found that he took me to be a slave trader i knew that it would be of no use for me to tell him that i was myself a slave looking for a master for he would have doubtless brought up the same objection that others had brought up that i was too white and that they were afraid that i could read and write and would never serve as a slave but run away my reply to the question respecting the quality of my slaves was that i did not think his lumber would suit me that i must have the cash for my negroes and turned on my heel and left him i returned to the prison and informed my wife of the fact that i had been taken to be a slaveholder she thought that in addition to my light complexion my being dressed up in garrison's old slave trading clothes might have caused the man to think that i was a slave trader and she was afraid that we should yet be separated if i should not succeed in finding somebody to buy us every day to us was a day of trouble and every night brought new and fearful apprehensions that the golden link which binds together husband and wife might be broken by the heartless tyrant before the light of another day deep has been the anguish of my soul when looking over my little family during the silent hours of the night knowing the great danger of our being sold off at auction the next day and parted forever that this might not come to pass many have been the tears and prayers which i have offered up to the god of israel that we might be preserved while waiting here to be disposed of i heard of one francis whitfield a cotton planter who wanted to buy slaves he was represented to be a very pious soul being a deacon of a baptist church as the regulations as well as public opinion generally were against slaves meeting for religious worship i thought it would give me a better opportunity to attend to my religious duties should i fall into the hands of this deacon so i called on him and tried to show to the best advantage for the purpose of inducing him to buy me and my family when i approached him i felt much pleased at his external appearance i addressed him in the following words as well as i can remember sir i understand you are desirous of purchasing slaves with a very pleasant smile he replied yes i do want to buy some are you for sale yes sir with my wife and one child garrison had given me a note to show wherever i went that i was for sale speaking of my wife and child giving us a very good character of course and i handed him the note after reading it over he remarked i have a few questions to ask you and if you will tell me the truth like a good boy 
perhaps I may buy you with your family. In the first place, my boy, you are a little too near white. I want you to tell me now whether you can read or write. My reply was in the negative. Now I want you to tell me whether you have run away. Don't tell me no stories now, like a good fellow, and perhaps I may buy you. But as I was not under oath to tell him the whole truth, I only gave him a part of it, by telling him that I had run away once. He appeared to be pleased at that, but cautioned me to tell him the truth, and asked me how long I stayed away when I run off. I told him that I was gone a month. He assented to this by a bow of his head, and making a long grunt, saying, That's right, tell me the truth like a good boy. The whole truth was that I had been off in the state of Ohio, and other free states, and even to Canada. Besides this, I was notorious for running away, from my boyhood. I never told him that I had been a runaway longer than one month. Neither did I tell him that I had not run away more than once in my life. For these questions he never asked me. I afterwards found him to be one of the basest hypocrites that I ever saw. He looked like a saint, talked like the best of slaveholding Christians, and acted at home like the devil. When he saw my wife and child, he concluded to buy us. He paid for me $1,200 and 1000 for my wife and child. He also bought several other slaves at the same time, and took home with him. His residence was in the parish of Claiborne, fifty miles up from the mouth of Red River. When we arrived there, we found his slaves poor, ragged, stupid, and half-starved. The food he allowed them per week was one peck of corn for each grown person, one pound of pork, and sometimes a quart of molasses. This was all that they were allowed, and if they got more, they stole it. He had one of the most cruel overseers to be found in that section of country. He weighed and measured out to them their week's allowance of food every Sabbath morning. The overseer's horn was sounded two hours before daylight for them in the morning, in order that they should be ready for work before daylight. They were worked from daylight until after dark, without stopping but one half hour to eat or rest, which was at noon. And at the busy season of the year, they were compelled to work just as hard on the Sabbath as on any other day. End of chapter 9 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista